Paul began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Good morning. We're going to continue uh, our series this week on the topic of conversion with arguably the most important conversion of history, the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. And conversion is actually a, can be a really difficult topic to preach, and here's why. Uh, there are typically three types of people that you're preaching to in a congregation. You all with me so far? There are the, uh, the converted, there are the unconverted, and there are those who assume that they're converted but have never given themselves over to God. So they assume conversion but aren't. And all three of those groups don't like to hear about conversion. And here's why. You following me so far? Um, the unconverted think that this idea of having to convert, like change your life and follow after Christ, is narrow-minded and primitive. Everybody should just believe whatever they want as long as they're happy, right? To force somebody to believe something else, isn't that really narrow-minded? Isn't that arrogant of you? So they hate to hear about it. The converted don't like talking about it because they, out of uh, possibly an insecurity about their faith with Christ, start to wonder, well, am I really converted? Am I actually a Christian? Am I really uh, one of God's own? And then those who think they're converted but really aren't hate this topic because conversion means that they might actually have to change how they live. And they don't want to do that, right? Just call me a Christian, but let me live however I want to. Those are those who, again, they, they, uh, they may think they're converted, but their lives are certainly not evidence of the fact. And so, we're going to be deep diving into this topic of conversion as we look at St. Paul of Damascus. And I've got three points for you this morning to help kind of structure our thoughts. The first point is the necessity of conversion. The second point is the method of conversion. And the third, the results of conversion. So let's dive in. We're actually going to take another look at our text, so if you've got your bulletins, feel free to follow along with me. Uh, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 from Acts. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So what's happening here? Uh, Saul is not a good guy, right? He's not. He's an arresting officer, and he's got the zeal of a Pharisee, and he's got the tenacity of a bounty hunter. You all remember that terrible show that was on Dog the Bounty Hunter, right? He would just, in Hawaii, knock down doors and drag people for money. Uh, that's exactly what Paul was doing. Uh, he had evidently worked his way through Jerusalem already, rounding up Christians, pulling them from their homes, and making them stand trial, and now he was pursuing the Christians who fled persecution all the way to Damascus. So what he's doing, he's asking for letters of introduction to the local synagogues, letting them know that he's there to bring people in. And Paul was exactly the type of person that you don't want wielding power. You know the type, right? Self-righteous and merciless. Self-righteous and merciless. Y'all ever meet a grammar Nazi? Right? 
self-righteous and merciless when you make a mistake. Um, or maybe, you know, you know somebody who really likes to punish others, you know, make you squirm. Uh, sometimes, so I think spouses sometimes do this when they get into an argument. You know, it's not enough to win the argument. You have to, like, try to make them admit that they were wrong. Is anybody familiar with that? Like, I'm going to get you. Um, this is also the type of person, uh, you know, who maybe as a fifth grader was given a little badge and told that he could be on safety patrol at the school and monitor the hallways. And as soon as he got back talk from a third grader, he pursued him all the way around the campus and tackled him in order to get him in trouble, only to be kicked off safety patrol. They should have never given me a badge. Um, that was, that was a, that's a true story, and that was a big mistake. So, again, this is that type of person that Saul was. Saul was all of that and more. He, his intent was to stamp out the new movement. And when it came to a question of the execution of Christians, right, should this person be put to death or not, his answer was always death. That's who Paul was. Paul was a really bad guy. And what made him even worse is that he believed he was serving God. You all know that old adage, every villain is the hero of their own story? You all familiar with that one? That was Paul. He believed he was doing the right thing. And I think that's one of the things that makes his conversion so profound, and your conversion as well. Because Paul, I'm assuming, like many of us, spends so much time trying to justify his own behavior, even when it feels wrong, spends so much time trying to defend himself against accusations or imagining that wrongful actions are somehow for the greater good, that Paul, like us, may not have even considered that he needed to change. You all know that impulse, right? When you're accused of something or when you're confronted with something really horrible that you've done, is your first response to take ownership? No. It's to blame everyone and everything else for your mistake. And so, to, for God to arrest our hearts to convert us to His ways is a real challenge, or at least it seems to be. But even Paul, who thought he was on the side of good, who thought he was serving God, needed to be converted. And so do we all. Many of you out here are probably cradle Episcopalians, right? Cradle Episcopalians need to be converted to Jesus Christ. As do the most zealous Pharisees. As do the children of priests. Gabriel, I'm not going to throw you under the bus today if you ever watch these sermons later, but you know what you're doing. So everybody needs to be converted. That's my two-year-old son, by the way. Um, everybody needs to be converted. All of us. It's necessary. And some of us inside the church are uncomfortable with this idea of conversion. Again, we ask, am I converted? Should I be converted? What's the Bible say? I'm going to give you a hint. Yes, absolutely, all of us. Matthew 18.3, Jesus is talking to people, and he says, conversion is necessary. He says, unless you turn and humble yourself like a child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. In John 3.7, you remember the phrase born-again Christian? You remember that was really popular? Well, that's from Jesus. Unless one is born again, he may not enter the kingdom of heaven. Christianity converts people. What's the difference between Christianity and a bridge club or a yacht club or a uh, you know, belonging to a golf club. Do you know? Or political affiliation. Do you know? 
Christianity demands that we turn, that we change our ways. When you sign up for a social club, typically it's because you share the interests of the people that you're signing up to be around, right? Unless you just want, unless you just want power and influence, if you're joining a bridge club, it's presumably because you enjoy doing what? Playing bridge, right? Well, Christianity, conversion presupposes that there is a change of life happening, that there's an abrupt interruption when you meet the risen Lord. You all follow me on that? It's very different. Early Christians didn't sign up for Christianity because of all the benefits that would accrue with that, because they just agreed with the precepts. They were persecuted. They were chased down. They were hunted down. Their conversion was a profound change that they underwent. That's why when we look back at our text, we see uh, that Christians were followers of the way. You see that in verse 2? They aren't called Christians. Christians wasn't a term that we were given until later. Uh, Original Christians identified themselves as followers of the way. That's because they were going in one direction and started moving in another direction. One of my… and Christian… I love the term Christian. Um, We were actually given the term Christian in history. It was a derogatory term that we were labeled with, but we started wearing it with pride. You all follow me on that so far? So, but, but to be a follower of the way indicates that you are following what Christ tells you to do, right? You are living a certain way that is different than people around you. It's not a static term. And you see, if you're in this room, even if you were raised in a Christian home and your beliefs and your morality is 95% in lockstep with the Bible, what do you do when you're confronted by the other 5%? What do you do with that? Well, if you've converted to the faith, you allow God to work on your heart knowing that you still have a ways to go, and so do I. So conversion is necessary for everyone. Which brings us to point two, the method of conversion, or the technique of conversion. And I'm going to be honest with you, um, this is a trick point. It's a trick point. There's no secret technique, there's no magical incantation, there's no formula that you can say that just grants you entrance to heaven. Let's see what happens to Paul back in our text. I'm going to be, read this briefly, starting in verse 3. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. This is Paul. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he, ver- he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. So think about this. What's happening here? Paul is traveling along the road, and he hits hits a spiritual wall, right? He gets knocked on his uh, tuchus um, and, and, you know, confronted with Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It'd be really hard to imagine how these words must have struck Paul. Think about this. His entire life was about this pursuit, was about serving God. And these words were a complete refutation of all he had been. He had been persecuting Christians to defend God's honor and glory, only to find out that he was persecuting God. Are you familiar with this idea? You think that you're serving 
uh, someone or something, but it turns out that you were undermining the very cause you sought to serve. Um, again, we'll go back to spouses. Anybody um, get really angry and let your spouse have it only to later realize that you were attacking the very person you were called to love and that hits you? Or um, what about the spouse who tries to preserve the peace in the marriage, and so every time they're angry, they just bottle it inside and pretend it doesn't exist? And then 10 years down the road, they've realized that they've drifted so far away from their partner that they've actually undermined the marriage and allowed it to fall apart? You see what I'm saying? Trying to seek peace but destroying the very thing that you're trying to preserve? Or what about the parent who wants, to, who wants to give their, children, their child a great life and so works absurd hours to provide this life for their child only to find later that their neglect of their own children has caused them deep harm. You all see what I'm saying here? You ever experienced that aha, that wake-up moment of what have I done? What have I done? That's what Paul is experiencing here. Paul had been betraying God and betraying himself in doing so until God got through to him, until Paul responded. You see, I said point two was the method of conversion, but there's nothing so simple as that. No magic formula, no standardized oath, because conversion is the bonding of your heart, mind, and soul to God. It is a personal infusion. It is God entering into you and pulling you to himself. I remember growing up, and I think it was my own misunderstanding. I'm not going to blame the church, but has anybody ever heard of the sinner's prayer? If you say, the sinner's prayer is basically, if you say these words, you have now become a Christian. And so when I was very young, I was given these words to say, and I figured, you know, what the heck, I'll say these words, and just in case there's a God, I'll be, you know, I'll get my golden ticket to heaven, and everything will be fine. Um, and so I did. The problem was I was never taught what it meant to follow Christ. I was never introduced to the person of Christ, and my heart had not changed. I had said some words. Uh, the problem with believing that conversion is, is just this technique, this method or formula, is then you can just kind of take these words, this sheet of paper, and start giving it to other people in order to convert them without explaining what the faith is. I remember uh, about six years ago, I was a youth leader at a youth camp, and it was a terrible experience. Uh, we were... We were, we were taught to try to convert people manipulatively. If we just got them to say a few things or to read a few things, we're gonna get, yeah. if we were just taught to, uh, if we just taught people to say a few things or read a few things, then they'd be Christians like us. And so they gave us these little tracts of things to hand out, and they gave us this way of like, you know, manipulatively steering the conversation to get them to say what we want to say. Is anybody familiar with this? Anybody knock on your door and try to do this to you? Um, and then they let us loose upon these unsuspecting shoppers at a flea market. And we descended on them. And we surrounded them and we hounded them as they were trying to shop. Just trying to get them to say these few words, you know. Hey, can you read this out loud for me? I, I can't see. Can you tell me what this says? Is that conversion? What do you think? No, it's absurd. You know, it's, it's really good for us to, as Father... Uh, Rodriguez mentioned last week, it is our job to share our faith and to share our testimony and to share how God has impacted us. But it is not through techniques or manipulation that we convert others. It is actually God who converts. 
And when we take it on to ourselves, we can, try it, we can take on manipulative acts. I'll tell you one more story about that because it's so fascinating to me. There's a big non-denominational church that has tried to get people to do mass baptisms, and what they do is they take people who are already Christian, who are specifically young and attractive, and when they invite everybody to come up to baptism, they tell their volunteers to run up first so that other people will follow suit. What do you think about that? That's not conversion. Conversion is the change of your heart, is the willing submission to God, and it is when He works on you and draws you to Himself. You see, there is no standard paradigm of conversion for all Christian believers. Lydia, in Acts chapter 16, Paul is speaking to a bunch of women at the riverside, and the text specifically says that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being said. Has anybody here ever tuned out during a sermon? And not, not when Father Christmas, but when I preach, are you doing it right now? Come on. What's happening here is God placed it on Lydia's heart to pay attention to what he was saying. You all ever listen to a sermon that actually moves you or grabs you, and it causes a change? That's what God is doing. That's a conversion. The story of the eunuch is completely different. He's traveling down the road. He just so happens to be reading Isaiah, just so happens to be reading a passage about Jesus, and, you know, uh, Philip just so happens to be transported there to be able to explain it to him, right? All of these, um, forgive my air quotes, but coincidences, right? You ever hear of any conversions where things just start aligning for people and it all comes together? That's conversion. Consider the road to Emmaus. People are walking alongside Christ and then their eyes are open and they realize that they've been walking with him for quite some time. And it goes on and on and on. The truth is people focus too much on the method of conversion as evidence. Dramatic testimonials, right? I was once a prostitute and a drug dealer and a hitman and an arsonist, and now I know the Lord, and that's the proof of my conversion. The truth is your testimony is how God has been walking with you yesterday, last week, last month, what He's doing in you now. That's the litmus test. That's the evidence which brings us to our third and final point, the results of conversion. This will take one final look at our text. So what happens is um, Ananias is sent to Paul. He lays hands and prays over him to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it says that Paul was for some days, I'm picking up in verse 19, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And skipping to verse 22, which is not in your bulletin. But, Paul, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus, catch this word, by proving that Jesus was the Christ. That word proving is really interesting. The word proving in Greek is symbibatso. Symbibatso, that Jesus is the Christ. Symbibatso means putting puzzle pieces together to create an image. You all follow me on that? Putting things together to create an image. Putting puzzle pieces together so you can see the whole picture. What was Paul doing? Well, he was raised as a Jew of Jews. He was a Roman citizen. By, he was unique. A Roman citizen by birth, a Jew by race, a Greek by education. I mean, as Father Chris mentioned, I think, a couple weeks ago, you know, he was it. He was the top dog. 
And when he was converted, he was able to use all of these gifts that he had. He had the Old Testament memorized, and he was able to see Jesus Christ in every line of Scripture and to show people that Jesus Christ has been the Messiah the whole time. What am I saying here? The results of conversion are not that you have a new personality type, right? It's not that all of a sudden all of your hobbies and interests have changed or your talents or giftings are something brand new. The results of conversion is that God takes you the way that you are constructed, and He changes your direction so that instead of pursuing things for yourself, you pursue things for Him. Instead of taking all of your gifts and talents and interests and gratifying yourself, you do all things to whose glory? To His That's a change in direction. That's conversion. Conversion experience does not demonstrate conversion, but it's the life of of results that does. Do you have intimacy with God? Are you willing to sacrifice for Him? Are you engaged in your community? I'm going to finish with one last illustration, and I'm going to prove that to you by putting my papers away. So, uh, one last illustration for you. and I've, I've mentioned this before, I think it was last year, but it was one of the most profound things I heard when I was in seminary. There was a deaf school, and it was about five o'clock. School had let out at three, and the custodian was in the cafeteria. And the custodian loved this time of day because he was able, no one else was around. He was able to uh, play his music and just kind of danced to himself as he mopped the floor. It was actually a really fun time for him, really moving time for him. And so he cranks up his music, and he starts mopping the floor and cleaning things. And one of the students, um, a, a young deaf girl who had forgotten her books, came back into campus, and she was walking to her locker, and she passed by the opening of this cafeteria, and she saw this janitor with a huge smile on his face, you know, dancing and laughing and having a great time. And she said, you know what? That looks like a lot of fun. So she decided to go out and start mimicking his move. Now, she couldn't hear the music, of course, but she could see him and follow his dance, his instructions. So, you know, looking to her left and kind of following the movements that were happening, she joined in. So when he stepped left, she stepped left. When he stepped right, she stepped right, and she was really moving to the music. But pretty soon, she got bored. She started missing some steps. She couldn't keep up the rhythm because she couldn't hear the music. And so she started to kind of fall out of line with him. Um, She ended up losing interest, and she left fairly quickly. Well, what am I saying? When you experience conversion, when you have that personal encounter with God, when he pulls and he draws on and he speaks to your heart, there is a music that you hear in the Gospels. There is... um, the sound of his voice that comes through to you, to speak to you, to guide you, to bring you along. It's not enough to mimic your neighbor, right? It's not enough to know when to stand. It's not enough to know the calisthenics of the Episcopal Church, when to stand and when to sit and when to kneel and what page to turn to. You have to experience God and be brought along by him. Otherwise, your faith will be very short-lived indeed. So let's pray to this God who by his very nature, desires us to come to him who knocks on the door, is never far from us if we would but turn. Conversion is not a technique, and you certainly never arrive at the perfection of your faith, but it is a humble submission and willingness to engage in the very real and very personable God of the universe. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are in pursuit of all of us. 
God, not to drag us bound before you, but to draw us to yourself, to love us, to care for us, to see us have an amendment of life, change of heart, to love us and allow us to love you. God, I pray that we would open ourselves to you, to open ourselves to experiencing you and following you, to follow the way that you have given before us. It's in your Son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.